This is the Tribal Malfunctions Podcast. Tribal Malfunctions is a thrilling cyberpunk story of gangs, guns, greed, and the power of independent trucking set in 22nd century Boston. I am your host and narrator, Chang Terhune. Now join me please as we enter the strange world of Tribal Malfunctions. Greetings, dear listeners. Welcome to episode 10 of Tribal Malfunctions. This is amazing. I didn't, uh, I guess I expected we were going to get here because I know how many chapters the book has and I'm trying to do just about a chapter, uh, episode per chapter rather, but uh, still it's pretty amazing. 10 down. 10's a big number for us humans. We got 10 fingers, 10 toes. Okay, most of us do. Some of you don't. I'm sorry. Uh, Don't take it personally. Um... But uh, regardless of how many digits you got, 10's a big number. Um, so we are uh, getting into the nitty-gritty of the story. Aris, our hero, has uh, gotten himself uh, captured somewhere in the wilds of New York City. But uh, if you're a new listener, I would strongly recommend go back to Chapter 1, wherein uh, the story begins. So with that, I'm going to give you uh, some time to go ahead and do that. And... Uh, just so you know, the clock is ticking because the rest of us are waiting for you to catch up. Catch up. Cats up. Mayonnaise. Okay, go. And I think you're all caught up. I want to thank you again uh, for providing uh, whoever provided me the uh, crow of the Valhalla, the rooster, um, from South Central Arkansas, and um, I think my clock's sounding a little better, don't you? Uh, let's see, is there anything else I wanted to say? Um, no, but you know, I strongly recommend you stick around towards the very end of the podcast, uh, not only because I do my little outro, and actually if you do that on the outro, I'm going to talk a little bit sort of about the genesis of the novel. I think I covered it in episode one, but I feel like saying it again because I love hearing the sound of my own voice. But uh, at the very end of these, I always put in a few tidbits, which are um, my bloopers, which I find um, hilarious after the fact, but annoying as hell in the... Um, in the interim, or during the time I'm recording. As always, please remember there is swearing and uh, colorful language because in the future they swear, so don't play it around your fucking kids. So, anyway, here we go. Episode 10, Chapter 10. Dig in.
travel on 10, choosing up sides. Having a hard time deciding whether to go fully integrated or keep it real and partially integrate, or go old school and adopt a peripheral lifestyle? Here's my friend Kendra with a few options for you. Kendra. These days, it's hard to imagine not being fully integrated with the net, but remember, only a hundred years ago, people were still getting used to the idea of implanted electronics. Heck, back then, people were afraid of letting their toasters and refrigerators talk to their watches, a concept almost no one blinks an eye at these days. With the wide variety of options available to you, it can be hard to decide which way to integrate information and data into your life. Well, for starters, let's cover some basic terms and degrees of users. First, we have the unintegrated. These are people who choose not to employ either wearable or semi-permanent implanted technology, such as subdermal communication devices, commonly referred to as skin phones, net heads, or brain doilies. Folks in this category choose to use either handheld or bodily smart devices worn in jackets or glasses. Smartphones, tablets, smart glasses, and smartwatches are all used by the unintegrated to access information and the net at large. Secondly, there are the semi-integrated. These are people who have adopted subdermal technologies to stay in touch. Most of these allow easy access by a heads-up display, or HUD, or HUD, in glasses or implanted ocular projectors, which allow users to access email, phones, or browsers as necessary. Augmented realities and stratified reality-based communes use these devices to superimpose virtual environments on their surroundings. Thirdly, there are the fully integrated. These are users who go for an entirely implanted system invisible to the exterior world but fully accessible via HUD-based menus. Fully integrated users tend to also be comfortable with physical augmentation such as full body modifications, cybernetic limbs, and genetic enhancements. Sometimes you'll hear someone referred to as an Augie or an Aug dog. These people who choose to add these modifications to their bodies consider these words, slurs, and epithets. You may find yourself among them and find your head filled with questions. A polite, acceptable term for these folks is enhanced, upgraded, or the somewhat humorous, singularized. Just be careful how you approach someone if you have questions. It is always better to be polite than rude, isn't it? So which is the right path for you? Well, let's take a moment to ask some questions and find out what your level of comfortability with augmentation is, shall we? This has been an audio presentation from Are We There Yet? A New Person's Guide to Life in the United States of America, part of the newly revived and released Persons Reorientation Packet from Mind Farm Corporation, copyright 2095. Chapter 10, Down in the Belly Need to breathe, said Aris. Please. The heel lifted slightly from his chest. Aris blinked, but lurid splotches of light persisted in his vision. He slowly lifted a hand to his eyes and groaned. Those shitty nocos got the response time of a fucking tortoise, the woman said. Pretty sure you won't have permanent retinal damage, but if you do, it's your own damn fault. 
snooping around where you don't belong. C can you at least turn the lights off? said Aris. Ha! I did, she replied. You're still not talking, though. You got about 13 minutes left. Okay, said Aris. With a hand over his eyes, he began to tell her what he knew about the hauler, starting with who he was. He considered leaving out the part of the guns in the Ortiz building, but when he hesitated, she prodded him with that pointed heel. So you broke into my auto hauler, she said. Aris nodded. You're insane, you know that? Or maybe an idiot. I guess both, probably. Aris groaned. I had good reason. Especially after what I saw in the hauler's CPU logs. You saw that, she said? How'd you see that? On my tablet, he replied, then reached into his coat. Right here. Watch the hands, she shouted. The chattering grew lower and more intense. Stop right there. Terry, get that from him. The weird chattering came too close again as he felt something tug at his coat pockets, pulling the tablet out. His vision was returning, so he could see shapes and slightly less blinding light. He couldn't remember the layout from before the lights were tripped, so he stayed put. The woman muttered softly while the strange chattering continued somewhere close by. What the fuck, she muttered. The chattering answered. This is fucking crazy, Terry. What the hell's going on? They're sending it all over the place. They? asked Aris. It's not you? Shut up, she said. The chattering echoed her wary tone and dropped to a growl. I'm still counting. You've got about nine minutes left. Please, he said. I'm no trouble. I just got a little too curious. Ha! Huh, fucking right you did, she said. Please, he said. I've got a wife and kids. I've got a family. Which you didn't think of when you were picking that lock over there? Or when you were strolling down a deserted street in the Bronx in the middle of January? Aris kept quiet. Finally, the woman sighed. Well, if you're not with them or the cops, you're clearly some kind of rogue frigging idiot. Who do you mean? Who's them? An interested party. There was a shifting of feet and furniture of some kind. He blinked, then found more of his vision return. You're not affiliated, are you? Not down and heavy? No, I don't see any tattoos. The coat's wrong, too. I was once. Had the ink cigs all over. Got them removed, said Aris. Years ago. Cost a fortune. That part of my life is over. Show me, she said after a pause. Just remember, Terry doesn't like fast hands. Do you, Terry? Aris tugged his coat back, then pulled the shirt collar to his shoulder. Got some shitty scars there, so your fortune must have been pretty meager. But you had a lot of tats, huh? All the way from my neck to my waist. Animated, too. Names of fallen brothers, battles, slogans and shit. Then what? Some bad, bad shit went down, said Aris. Boston Heavy got beat hard by the NYC Massive. And boy, were they massive. Yeah, long time ago, she said. Big Battelle. I was a kid. Remember reading about it somewhere. Yeah, said Aris. Figured I'd better get out of the life since I nearly died. Guess you were lucky, she said. All right, sit up slowly now. Don't make Terry anxious. Aris found he could rise despite pain in all the limbs that broke his fall. He found his vision almost fully restored and squinted in the direction of the woman's voice. She sat on a plastic crate a few feet from him. 
She was young, tall, and very slender. An almost emaciated thinness, the kind of physique popular with fashion models a hundred years before. Despite being holed up in a warehouse, she cared about her appearance. Her hair was a vibrant turquoise, professionally cut and groomed. She wore black calf-high boots and red leather pants. A white t-shirt was stretched over her thin torso on top of a red long-sleeved shirt. Worn mechanics gloves covered her hands. This woman, you'd almost call her a girl, could have been a movie star or model, but for the cumbersome medical appliances she wore. An active cast was slung around her left thigh, the wires and tubes snaking into a memory pack strapped below her knee. Her white shirt had odd straps and ties near her ribs, from which more tubes snaked into the apparatus hanging from her back. The red undershirt appeared to be more supportive than fashionable, like some kind of medical corset. At first, Aras thought she wore a backpack before he realized it was an apparatus combining medical equipment into a prosthetic anti-gravity rig. An IV bag hung off one side, while the rest was a collection of complex pumps and monitors. He wondered how her thin frame could support 50 to 75 pounds of equipment before realizing some of her clothing was actually a supportive exoskeleton woven into the fabric. The thing sitting on her shoulder and the source of the chattering was apparently Terry. If his daughter saw it from a distance, she'd probably beg for one, but up close it was far from cute. He was fairly certain it had been a toy once that had been altered and significantly transformed into something less than benign. Terry was covered in red, soiled fur, darkened with dirt and possibly grease. It still had one of its original glass eyes, while the other was a large lensed camera screwed into the socket. Terry's mouth bore a set of bright, sharp teeth that gleamed white under the warehouse lights. One of Terry's arms was still a teddy bear's, with a dingy white heart as a paw pad. The other was a mechanical arm with a long blade welded to the forearm's outside, which ended in claws. A large white skull had been painted across Terry's protruding belly. I'm Yuki, the woman said, and this is Terry. The red demon teddy bear on her shoulder growled and showed Aris even more teeth. Yuki... That hauler's named after you? Something like that, she said. I'm Aris. So, are you going to call your bosses or what? Yuki shook her hair off her face and looked at him with the turquoise eyes that glinted like her hair. Not yet, she said, frowning. I've got Terry to keep me safe. Right, Terry? The teddy bear swung from her shoulder quite easily despite its stubby legs to perch on Aris' left shoulder in less than two seconds. Up close, he smelt machine oil and the peculiar electric scent one could only describe as robot. Terry snarled and leaned in close to peer at him with its lens eye. Follow me, she said. Try anything stupid and Terry will have your jugular vein wide open in less than a second. It'll ruin that nice coat of yours. Aris rose slowly as Terry, the demonic teddy bear, balanced perfectly calm on his shoulder. With Terry's tiny claws digging through his coat, Aris followed Yuki across the warehouse floor up a set of stairs along the back. She didn't walk so much as float slightly above the floor. Aris realized the anti-gravity devices in her rig and clothing did most of the work of holding her upright. 
She couldn't have weighed more than 130 pounds, which wasn't much, especially at her height of six feet at least. At the top of the stairs, she opened a rusted metal door into a small room containing two bare desks and a few gray file cabinets. Yuki walked past these into the next room, which once Aris entered, gave him a pretty clear idea of who built the AI, modified Terry, and created the custom medical rig that held her. The back room was huge, crammed with an immense amount of gear covering every space possible. To the right, a decrepit hospital bed, kitchenette, and an old chest of drawers topped by a mirror broke the cluttered landscape of scrap and parts. Numerous makeup items were stacked on top of the chest, while clothes were strewn on the floor in front of it and flowing out of a canvas hamper. The room's center was equipped with four tables, surgical light arrays hanging above each. The tables were cluttered with a variety of electronics, gears, and other components Aris couldn't identify. He saw parts for haulers, robots, computers, and even plumbing fixtures. The left wall was covered with a bank of hard and soft monitors hanging in a luminous crescent above a chair and workstation. At the back, rows of shelves containing more stored items loomed in the darkness. Tinny pop music played faintly from a set of speakers near the workstation. The room's odor was a weird mix of machines, old food, and a touch of too much habitation without enough sanitation. Almost everything in the space pertained either to computers, robotics, or cybernetics. In this workshop, Yuki moved like a gardener among plants, trailing fingers over mismatched parts on the table, adjusting something in a project underway on another before stopping to look at something else at the next. She came to the living area, then turned to face Aris before backing into a metal gantry taller than her. Once inside it, she slid the medical rig from her back. A few lights above it blinked then it rested there, perhaps recharging. Yuki crossed the room slowly. Without the rig, she walked with far greater care and visible pain, her feet definitely touching the ground. Clearly, she couldn't walk far without the rig. Her movements were labored as she grimaced with every shuffling step. Now that he wasn't in immediate danger of being handed over to Cho, Aris was slightly less fearful. She couldn't chase after him without a rig, nor could she fight him if he needed to subdue her. Aris took little pleasure in knowing he could overpower Yuki all too easily. But then a subtle flex of Terry's claws in his shoulder reminded him Yuki wasn't the only barrier to his escape. She took a seat at the workstation under the bank of monitors. It was an ordinary desk chair customized like her medical rig was, with extra motors and switches. The chair slid tubes and cables into sockets on her clothes that she accommodated with a slight shift here and a slight lean there. She took as little offense at these intrusions as she might the touch of a nurse or perhaps even a lover. Yuki laid Ara's tablet down on the desk, then slotted a cable into it from an assortment bursting like shiny black weeds from a desk panel. It's uh, password protected and biometrically locked, so... Oh, how will I ever get into it, mister? She replied. Aris frowned when, after a few swipes and taps on the screen, she had all his information accessible, then downloaded it. She looked at Aris, then up to the screens, darting her eyes from one to the other. At his angle, it was hard for Aris to see exactly what she was looking at, but he had a pretty good idea. What the... Her expression went from curiosity to confusion in seconds. 
Where are they taking you, kid? What's that? asked Aris. Not talking to you, she said. Terry growled, and Aris winced as the claws sunk in further. Terry, she shouted. The robot muttered, leaping from Aris' shoulder, then skittering across the floor and up her chair to rest on her shoulder, tucking into her neck. She patted it absently, then looked askance at Aris. The door to the warehouse floor slammed shut and locked. The doorway behind him crackled, and Aris smelt an ozone whiff in the air as the hairs on his hands prickled and rose. "'Just cause Terry's with me doesn't mean I trust you now,' she said. "'Don't try escaping, even if you could leave this room, and I doubt Terry or I would let that happen. You'd be dead before you got through the door, so stay put.' "'Can I sit at least?' Aris asked. "'Sure,' she said, gesturing in his direction. He looked around and saw a chair. Aris dropped into it and took off his hat. His clothes were smeared with dirt and oil. "'Just keep quiet.' "'Sure, I got it,' he said. She glared at him. "'I said I got it.' Yuki resumed scowling at the screens, over a dozen of them, all shapes and sizes, affixed to the wall over her desk, displaying a collection of shifting images and data. A few were security feeds showing the neighborhood, including views he knew had shown him only minutes before as he lurked outside. Another was an overview of the city from a dedicated Wonski satellite feed. Still more displayed several TV shows at once, one of which was Little Annie. Aris chuckled, but cut it short when Terry growled at him. Yuki shushed it with a scratch at its ears. Terry quieted and curled into her neck, keeping its camera eye fixed on him. After a few minutes of concentrated viewing, she leaned back, then rubbed her forehead, groaning. Aris wanted to speak, but held back. She leaned towards the screens again and tapped furiously at a hard keyboard before her. In a moment, his driver's and mechanic's license popped up across two screens. Another showed a long list of text, which she read for several more minutes. Soon, Aris heard an odd wheezing and finally located the source. Terry slumped on Yuki's shoulder, snoring. Finally, she leaned back and turned to face Aris, wincing slightly. Well, you check out, she said, eyeing him through a curtain of hair that cascaded over one eye. Petty teenage criminal record and that stops cold 15 years ago. Now you run a good clean garage with a four-star rating from the Hauler Service Association and the NTSB. So you're a model citizen, huh? Aris shrugged. But then again, my employer, Mr. Cho, has a five-star rating and runs several garages between here and Philly. He's philanthropic as fuck, too. Money for all the little kids and shit. Aris flipped his palms up and repeated the shrug. Wish I could give more, he said. Tell you what, I'll make a big donation to the charity of your choice if you'd let me go. Funny, said Yuki. I guess what I'm just pointing out is how it doesn't really mean shit until you meet someone face to face. Aris nodded. Yuki gestured at the screens. What this doesn't tell me is why a solid citizen like you is creeping around my warehouse so far from home. Doesn't fit the profile, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I agree, said Aris. But I already told you everything I know. Yet you were down and heavy once, though, right? She snapped her fingers at the monitors. A mugshot of him in his fat suit appeared overexposed with BPD icons and code printed under his face over a string of numbers along with QR and machine symbols. Pretty badass too, I bet, 
So you back in, doing some work for your all base? No, said Aris. I'm kinda freelance. Yuki laughed, which made her prettier, until she started coughing. When she tapped a button on the chair's arm, a syringe eased out to prick her in the shoulder. She relaxed and smiled. You okay? Aris asked. What's your story? Yuki shook her head. We're not talking about me right now. We're talking about you, she said quietly. So why then? It doesn't add up. You're working undercover for the NTSB? Homeland Service? Got an Anna Maria Aguilar over there. Any relation? Huh, <laughs> said Aris, shaking his head. No and yes. No and yes what? Not working for them and yes, she's my sister. Yuki's eyebrows lifted for a moment. Then what's the deal, she said. When Aris didn't answer, her tone hardened. I'm waiting, guy. I don't get many visitors here, and I especially don't like the uninvited ones. I don't get the whole honest expose thing from a guy I've never met. Doesn't make sense. Plus, my boss, Mr. Cho, could show up any second now. Aris looked up from his shoes at Yugi, her beauty infused with skepticism, and he sighed. Back when I was down and heavy, he said, I had a girlfriend, Baby G. She switched sides on me and fed our codes to the NYC crew. Totally destroyed us. Cho was their all-papa. She dumped me for him. What was her name, said Yugi, looking at the screens. Grace Ham, said Aris. Yuki continued to watch the screens for a second, then whirled back at him. Grace, she said, then snorted. You mean Mrs. Grace Cho? Yup. Yuki laughed again until pain overtook her. She stifled the laughter poorly as she dug out an inhaler from her thigh pocket. After bolting down a few breaths, she leaned back in the chair and giggled. Terry never moved the entire time. S sorry, but, but this is all a jilted lover thing, she said. Ten or fifteen years later and you're still mad he took your girl, so... Look, Missy, I wouldn't risk my job, my business, and my family for puppy love, okay? Aris said. He rose from his chair, stopping when Terry growled, then sat back down, slowly. I've got a lot to lose from this if you call the cops or Cho. It wasn't puppy love, though, was it? She said. Clearly. Saw it when you said her name. She broke your goddamn heart. I love my wife very much, Aris said. I'm not questioning that guy, she replied. I'm sure you do. Menea, right? Bet she's cute. But you can still love someone, even after another person's broken your heart. I guess, said Aris. It is kind of perfect, said Yuki, nodding her head and tapping her chin with a turquoise fingernail. Might all just work out. What, said Aris. She turned to the screens, her eyes passing over them before she tapped something into the keyboard, then turned back to him. You want to get back at Mr. and Mrs. Cho, she asked. A little revenge? Uh, I don't, I don't know about that, said Aris. Yuki frowned. Look, I, I just don't like what I think he's up to, even if I don't know what it is yet. But her being married to him? I mean, yeah, it hurts, but, uh... Yeah, 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 Yuki said. Keep playing the faithful husband. Fine by me. You want revenge, but can't come out and say it. No pressure. She slid her chair closer to him, then stopped a few feet away, wincing at the exertion it put on her limbs. Terry swayed slightly, then righted himself on her shoulder. Because me? 
I'd like revenge, said Yuki. I want a big fucking dish of it. I want to hit Cho so hard and so, so good. So bad, he never gets up, ever again. I'm talking permanent, irreversible damage. Why's that, said Aris. He's the one who made me like this, she said. And he's got my family hostage. I want them back safe and alive. I think you can help. Actually, I think you should help. And if I don't? If you don't? Well, I got you by the balls here. I can end your professional career in one or two keystrokes. Cops, Homeland Security, NTSB inspectors, interstate violations, fraud, evidence tampering. Not even a good faithful husband's marriage is going to survive that shit. Uh-huh, said Aris. You could do that, I suppose. I could, but I could also do something else. Aris' expression dropped as Yuki nodded. Who do you think I have on speed dial, she said. Who do you think would love to see you here, tied up like a pretty little present from the old days? Aris had trouble reconciling her beauty with Yuki's sudden viciousness. Okay, he said. I'm listening. Okay, and there we have it, folks. Um, episode 10, chapter 10. A little shorter than the uh, than they've been lately. Um, it's not a bad thing, I don't think. Um, good place to end. You know? Revenge. Everybody likes revenge. Best serve a dish. A dish best served cold, as they say. Can you tell the caffeine is kicking in? Um, so I hope you're digging it. Things are moving along. Um, next week, we find out what their plan is and how things are um, proceeding. Excuse me for the snorting and stuff. And, uh, yeah. Um, let's see. Little service schedule notes. Um, trying to get these out, like I said, every week. Most likely it's going to be Mondays now is when the new episodes drop. And I think that'll be pretty cool. And uh, I think you'll dig it. So, yeah. Episode 10 is just now completing. And next week is episode 11. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And... Namaste.
Maria crossed the room slowly. Oh, God damn it. We're not talking about me right now. We're talking about you, she said. Fuck. Who do you think I have on speed dial, she said. Of course, fucking dog has to go down the stairs now. With this demon toy perched on his... Sh- Y'all done there?